I'm an optimist on this. I actually believe the growing number of Arab people and Arab leaders want to make peace with Israel. And I'm encouraged by that and think we should be praying towards that end. Are the Saudis preparing to make peace with Israel? Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. Today, we're talking with Joel Rosenberg to answer that very question. Joel, this is our second attempt to kind of get our heads around, is Saudi Arabia trying to make peace with Israel? Uh, Welcome, and and maybe we can uh, dive in on some of these questions. Yeah. Glad to be with you, Carl. And I think this is so interesting and it's so important geopolitically today, especially in light of the Iran threat that we talked about in the previous podcast, but also to look at it from a biblical perspective. You know, what does the Bible say about God's perspective on the people of Arabia? And has there ever been any evidence of peace between Israel and the and, and the leaders and the people of Arabia? That Those are interesting questions yeah. to me. I've studied them a lot because I, I'm crisscrossing this region so much. God is opening these amazing, crazy doors for me that I'm trying to understand myself, both geopolitically and biblically, when the world is going on and what kind of biblical context are we operating in? So that's great. Uh, Joel, the country we call Saudi Arabia today, that has a place in the Bible, but maybe you could give a little bit of context of where does it fit in the Bible and this context of Arabia. Is there any connection of an Arabian leader making peace with Israel? I mean, where is where does that fit? So Arabia is all over the Bible, uh, from the first book of Genesis right on into the New Testament. We really see the term Arabia, much less Arabs, coming up over and over and over again. To start with the New Testament context, right, uh, there were Arabs present in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out and so many people come to Christ, 3,000 that first day. Uh, That was pretty amazing. And there were Arabs there. That's exactly what the text says. That's very interesting that God loves the Arab people and has shown them favor, including the the earliest of the early church had Arab followers of Jesus in it. The Apostle Paul is described as going to Arabia in Galatians chapter 1, spending time there immediately after coming to faith in Jesus. Now, you might ask, well, why did he go? Well, the Bible doesn't say it exactly, but the several hints uh, and we don't have time to exposit all that right now, but the, the hints are that he might have, in fact, been going to Mount Sinai, hmm. or Mount Horeb is known in, in the Old Testament, which was considered in biblical times Arabia. Why? Why would he go there? Because Paul was a man steeped in the law, right? This was Paul as a Pharisee. He was Saul, named hmm. Saul at the time. He was a Pharisee. He was a totally obsessed with the law of Moses. And then God reveals to him that Moses pointed to Jesus that Jesus is the Messiah. And once Paul gets it, I suspect that he went really back to Mount Horeb, uh, which is mentioned, of course, in the book of Galatians, and it describes that Horeb is located in Arabia. So Mm. that's interesting that Paul went to Arabia, and then he cites that Mount Horeb is in Arabia. And the point is, Paul may have been sitting there literally on the mountain where Moses received the law as the Lord revealed to him, yes, I gave the law, but now this is a new covenant. And I'm going to unpack this for you, Saul, turning to Paul. So you get both why the Mosaic law is important, 
but why only Jesus fulfilled it, sure. and now we're in a new covenant era. I mean, that's pretty amazing. But it also talks about, in the New Testament context, how important Arabia is. How many Christians think, you know, Paul spent time in Arabia, so should I. I've never met any Christian that says it, <laughs> but now that I'm studying it and I'm being invited to go and visit various countries in the Arabian world, I find myself thinking, well, what, what does the Bible say about yeah. Arabia? And then your specific question, um, yeah, one of the things that's interesting, of course, is that uh, right from the, the life of Abraham, Abraham first has a son, right, Ishmael, mm-hmm. and then he has Isaac. Well, Ishmael has 12 sons, and they become tribes. And where do they live? They live all over Arabia. Interesting. And even the Arabs today believe they are descendants of Ishmael. Mm-hmm. And, and and they are, many of them, not all of them, but many of them. But specifically, we read the story in the Book of Kings and in Chronicles, the story of the Queen of Sheba. Now, not getting into too much detail, that would be a fun study, but the Queen of Sheba came, she was a monarch from Arabia, and she hears about the wisdom of Solomon, right? The second king of Israel, or third, I'm sorry, third king of Israel, right? There was Saul, then David, then uh, Solomon. And the queen of Sheba hears that Solomon is so wise and so amazing. And she thinks, I need to go meet this king. And yeah, he lives in Israel and I live in Arabia, but I'm I'm gonna load up the caravan, the, the, the motorcade of the day, and we're going from Arabia to Jerusalem. And she brought riches and she brought spices and all kinds of things as a gift to Israelite King Solomon. And she wanted to spend time and listen to his wisdom, his biblical wisdom. And in the end, it becomes clear in the text in both accounts that she wanted to make peace between Arabia Hmm. and Jerusalem. And and, and some people say they they married each other. That's a whole other story for another day. But the point is that (laughs) is a dramatic example of an Arabian monarch truly making peace, a warm peace, between Arabia and Israel and the Jewish people. And uh, look, I'm I'm an optimist on this. I actually believe the in growing number of Arab people and Arab leaders want to make peace with Israel. Yeah. And I'm encouraged by that and think we should be praying towards that end. Yeah, I think uh, both you and I have had those anecdotal conversations in the region where where that's exactly what we've heard leaders and others say. But let me ask you this, you know, you uh, through... Uh, Near East Media through All Israel News commissioned a a survey that found some very interesting things. And I just want to quote this uh, statistic to you and get your comment on it. 55% of Americans, including 52% of Democrats, believe Biden should broker an Israel-Saudi peace agreement. What do you think Americans are saying there? What are the implications in, in making peace according to this poll? Well, we commissioned the poll right before President Biden traveled to Israel and to Saudi Arabia to meet not only with Saudi leaders, King Salman, Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince, but also the, the Arab leaders of the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation Council. We wanted to understand, uh, you know, what do the American people think the objective of this trip should be? It was super controversial. We discussed that in the last episode. And what we found is, yeah, a strong, you know, a true majority of the American people want President Biden to be the one that brokers peace and normalization between Saudi Arabia and Israel. They see that as the next key moment in the Middle East on a positive side. And they want President Biden to make it a top foreign policy priority of his administration to do this. This is interesting that even 52%, as you say, 52% of Democrats think 
that peace between Saudi Arabia and Israel is a good thing, that we want that, and we want Biden to help make it happen. This because it's been Saudi Arabia has been so controversial, both in in the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, which we discussed in the last episode, and something we didn't discuss in the last episode, uh, the, the war that's going on between Saudi Arabia and uh, a rebel terrorist faction in Yemen, a next door neighbor country uh, called the Houthis. The Houthis, without getting into too much detail, are a terrorist organization backed, funded and armed by the Iranian regime. So in a sense, the Saudis are fighting a proxy war. They're fighting terrorists in Yemen, but the, these are really terrorists who are funded and completely you know, owned by the Iranian regime. So the, it, the Saudis see themselves in a fight right now. And, and the Biden administration has been super critical of how the Saudis have handled themselves. So all that to say, I don't, there's not one positive thing that President Biden had said about Saudi Arabia that I can recall from the campaign of 2020 until he arrived in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, you know, uh, this summer. But still, 55% of the American people and 52% of Democrats believe this is important, that this, this a Saudi-Israeli peace treaty, peace and normalization treaty with Biden's active involvement in making it happen is a good thing and it should be uh, a priority, a top priority, even they say. So I, I think that tells us a lot. Now, just in context, we had done the same survey right right as an exit poll in November of 2020. And at that point, 79% of the American people said a Saudi-Israeli peace treaty would be a good deal, an important deal that the next president should pursue. At that point, we didn't know if it was going to be Biden or Trump when we did the exit survey on the election day of 2020. Um, so that is a, so the numbers are actually a drop, but yeah. they I think that drop comes because of, of the very negative things that Biden and his team have been saying about Saudi Arabia. But the fact that it's still a majority tells you it's still a deep uh, value of the American mm-hmm. people. And mm-hmm. I, I think you've got the numbers there of, of how many evangelicals, yeah. what evangelicals said about it. I was just going to get to that. And I think, you know, but to, to comment on the on the difference of the numbers, the differential, um, you know, it could well be that certain folks feel like giving this president the victory, the, the Nobel Peace Prize, as you've said before, for brokering peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia. They're less in, enthusiastic about that rather than awesome. the whole idea of making peace with Israel and Saudi Arabia. But to your point, Joel, Uh, The survey also said that 60 percent of American evangelicals want Biden to make Israeli Saudi peace deal a top priority. Um, What do you think that means? What do you think that says about American evangelicals? Well, that that we are overwhelmingly desirous of praying for the peace of Jerusalem and seeing it happen. Right. You know, that it's not um, even if it's a, a president that most evangelicals voted against and didn't want him to be in office, they still want him to succeed in some of the objectives that they consider dear. And they, and, you know, evangelicals in the United States and around the world believe deeply that we should not only pray for the peace of Jerusalem, but we should seek peace and pursue it. Right. That's what the Bible teaches. Seek peace and pursue it. Uh, or as Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, blessed are the peacemakers. Right. So. You could say, well, I want, you know, if I didn't vote for that particular person for president, does that mean I don't want him to pursue peace between Israel and our neighbors? No, of course we want that. Um, We may be less inclined to believe it's going to happen, 
but and then vice versa. There were people that voted against Trump. But did they want Trump to make peace between Israel and her Arab neighbors? I would say that the answer was yes. And so yeah, um, yeah. you don't have to agree with who's in office to still want good and important things to get done. Yeah. I think that's a very wise statement. And sometimes now in our hyper-polarized environment, we, we often see and interpret things only through a political side lens one way or the other. And I think you've made a great point there that it's good to see a majority, a strong majority of all Americans, Republican, Democrat, evangelical, non-evangelical, desire to see uh, peace break out more in the Middle East, particularly peace between Saudi Arabia and and Israel. Uh, we've got to take a break right now, Joel. But when I come back, I want to talk about the way in which uh, President Biden and his attitude towards Saudi Arabia and Iran differ, and uh, perhaps some of the different emphasis over the initial months of the uh, Biden administration. So uh, let's take a break right now, and we'll get back to that question in a second. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day is found in Galatians 1, 15-17. But when he who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his Son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Our prayer requests today are the same for the people of Saudi Arabia, that they would be more open to the gospel and turn to Jesus from Islam, and also to pray that peace between Israel and Saudi Arabia would enable greater security and an openness to the gospel for many in both countries. Joel, we're back. And I know before the break, we were talking about the majority of Americans and both evangelicals and others and of all stripes who who really do desire to see peace being brokered between Israel and Saudi Arabia. But, you know, you have to say that the Biden administration, at least for the last first year of, of the administration, was really leaning in and trying to make strong, positive overtures towards Iran. And yet it seems like there's been a shift now to lean towards uh, Iran's mortal enemy, if you will, in the Islamic world, the the Saudis. What's happened there? And, and maybe some of the other elements of things that have made that a reality. That's an important observation, Carl, that you've just made, that the Biden administration has been far more friendly towards 
America's main enemy in the region, the Iranian regime, than it has been towards the United States' top Arab allies in the region, including Saudi Arabia. So that's that's strange. <laughs> and everybody in the region has noticed it. And uh, the Saudis have not been happy. And even the other Arab countries that have a somewhat better relationship with the United States, I would include the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and Jordan and Egypt and Morocco, have, have been concerned that their Saudi brothers and sisters are, are, have been, you know, have been spoken of so negatively by Washington it, it, because they, they don't see it as, well, that's the, that, that's, they're dealing with the Saudis. They all feel like they're under Iranian threat and the threat from Iranian proxy terrorist organizations, right? For, for in, in, in Yemen, it's the Houthis. In uh, Lebanon, it's Hezbollah. In, uh, in Gaza, Gaza, it's Hamas. Mm. In the Western Sahara, it's the Polisario. And, you know, there's always somebody that Iran is backing that's trying to undermine or attack uh, these moderate Arab countries. And the Arab leaders are listening, very, as, as Israeli leaders are listening to the rhetoric coming out of Washington. And the Biden administration has been quite hostile. And so I think this trip was important uh, that President Biden made to Israel and Saudi Arabia and to meet with these GCC Gulf Co- Cooperation Council leaders. Uh, but I also thought it was essential. It was it was a, basically a cleanup operation. It was an, an effort by Biden to try to fix a growing perception that Biden is retreating from the region and these Arab countries mm-hmm. are increasingly on their own. Now, the silver lining to that feeling that the Arabs have is if the Americans are leaving, maybe we need to be getting closer to Israel. Now, I can't say that I think that the Biden team is, has this clever strategy of making Arab people feel like they're being abandoned so that they will make peace with Israel. Uh, it's certainly a risky strategy. But it, the silver lining is it, it does seem to be helping, actually, in a strange way, which I don't think is the intent. But um, look, Let's take a moment just to say something that we might, we probably need a whole podcast in and of itself, which is there's been a massive change of government. Well, not massive, a significant change of government in Israel this summer. Just before the Biden visit, the government led by Naftali Bennett as prime minister mm-hmm. almost collapsed. They basically lost their majority, but they were able to hold on and call new elections for November 1st, but Bennett had to step down as prime minister. And who stepped into his place? Yair Lapid, who had been the foreign minister. So that's mm-hmm. been a change that we have not discussed yet here on the Inside the Epicenter podcast. I actually happen to know uh, Yair Lapid. I've gotten to know him over the years. I've met with him many times. And he was the first Israeli Knesset member, parliament member, that I actually interviewed uh, when we launched our all Israel news and all Arab news That's right. uh, site on September 1st, 2020. Just within days of that, I interviewed Lapid. At the time, he was the opposition leader in Israel, meaning he was leading the coalition of people that were against Netanyahu. Now Netanyahu is not in power, and yet Lapid is the prime minister, at least until November when we have another yeah. round of elections, and then we'll see. So right in the midst of the threat from Iran – and the nervousness within the Arab world of American withdrawal, you have a change in government in Israel, which mm-hmm. is creating a, another level of volatility that I think is very interesting. And as uh, again, we don't cover politics per se here, not partisan politics, but it is important to know whom to pray for in Israel. And again, I think that may be another reason that the Saudis might not be ready to make a decision soon of when and how 
to make peace with Israel. Again, just to put my cards on the table, my instinct is that the Saudis do want to make peace and normalize with Israel mm. at some point. Now, they have some conditions. They want to see Israel working more closely with the Palestinians and try to see some pathway to peace there. We all want peace yeah. between Israel and the Palestinians. Is that possible with the current makeup of the government in the Palestinian Authority? No, I, it's really not. But it is certainly the, mm. something the Saudis want. But also when you have a change, again, in government, uh, first from Netanyahu to Naftali Bennett, and then Naftali Bennett to Yair Lapid, and uh, you know, most of our viewers and listeners, they have no idea who these names are except Netanyahu. Then that, again, it, it causes a pause for reflection, for analysis in other countries, including Saudi Arabia. So uh, I think this summer is uh, watching, waiting. I think the Saudis actually right now, I will say this, Carl, I think the Saudis are mm -hmm. more interested right now in patching up and strengthening relations with Washington sure. than with Jerusalem. I sure. think normalization has to happen between the Saudis and Washington before the Saudis are likely to normalize relationships with Israel. Because to the yeah. Saudis, they have not needed a, a, an alliance with Israel yet. They do need and they want, they covet a strong and healthy relationship with Washington, with the American people. And under President Biden, that has been, you know, put severely into question. Yeah, I think you can see that. I think you can see that the Saudis really want to make sure, first and foremost, that the U.S. has their back as, as much as they understand that. And in the, especially in relation to the Iran threat, having a strong uh, relationship with the U.S. has got to be a priority for the Saudis, uh, and as it is for Israel. And I think that's, again, another one of these common platforms that doesn't always get a lot of discussion in uh, mainstream media. But, but the U.S. has a uh, important role between both of those uh, nations as a backstop, as a, as a guarantor, as someone who is going to be involved in that. But, but maybe we can unpack this idea. You know, a lot of times we talk about brokering peace. What are the elements of brokering peace? And what, what would happen if peace did break out between Israel and Saudi Arabia? What would be some of the elements that would be part of that, Joel? Well, okay, so breaking that into two pieces. First, what would it look like to broker the peace? Well, I think a lot of that is the U.S. Secretary of State, um, Tony Blinken, or um, even more importantly, I think the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, uh, directly traveling to Saudi Arabia over and over again, just listening, listening. What what do you need? What do you need from us? What do you need from the Israelis? Right? There's a lot of there's a lot of listening involved, and then you know, popping back over to Israel and sitting with. Uh, you know, Prime Minister Yair Lapid and top Israeli officials like Defense Minister Benny Gantz and others and saying, and, and even and even the opposition leader, Benjamin Netanyahu, right? Because Netanyahu, we believe, my sources uh, confirm that Netanyahu secretly traveled to Saudi Arabia in the fall of 2020 to meet with MBS, the crown prince, and with then mm. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo for a secret meeting. Wow. And I have sources that say that meeting happened and I put it in my book, enemies and allies, wow. but it, there were no pictures. There's no confirmation. Again, I remain oddly the only Israeli citizen that's ever actually met with MBS and that they put pictures out and admitted it. But wow. so Netanyahu has an interesting vantage point and, and perspective on the relationship with the Saudis. So that all can happen behind the scenes. But again, mm -hmm. when I talk to my Saudi sources at very senior levels, and when I talk to you, uh, Biden administration 
officials, both current and former, they tell me that right now the Saudis are pressing Washington for fixing this relationship. And that's why the trip to Saudi Arabia by President Biden was so important. President Biden has said such harsh things about the crown prince, like he's a murderer, yeah. <laughs> which there's no proof of, that, yeah. you know, who? what country is going to give him um, yeah. a reward and say, well, you called me a murderer, but uh, sure, let's help you win the Nobel Peace Prize and maybe, you know, win your reelection by, you know, you know helping mm-hmm. broker the great peace treaty between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Like, you know, that is just not likely to happen, even if Saudi leaders have decided that it is in the national interest to go make yeah. peace with Israel. Still, um, it may be a timing issue. Maybe they're going to wait for a Republican to take back over or a different type of Democrat. I don't know. I'm not saying I know. I'm just saying these are some of the issues. But the brokering part is a lot of behind the scenes discussions. Yeah. Yeah. And But yeah. if the Saudis got to the point where they felt like their relationship with the United States was back on track and solid and healthy... Yes. Then the question is, uh, is there anything they specifically need and the Israelis need to actually make this deal? But then the question is, what if like, let's get to the point where the deal is made? You know, that's a different novel of mine when, <laughs> when uh, you know, I've written about a lot of these things fictionally. No, but if no, it really I, I got to stop you. I got to stop you for a second just to oh. remind our listeners that you actually in your book, Epicenter, wrote a headline uh, that we would read one day about. Gulf nations making peace with Israel and just just how remarkable it is that you and I are having this conversation. This was science fiction level fantasy, not more than yeah. 15 years yeah, ago. And here we are. So much has happened. Yeah. So that's amazing, yeah. Joel. Yeah. Well, I, you know, that's that's a discussion we've had on and off over and over again. But does Bible prophecy tell us that there's going to be more peace, more security, more quiet and, and calm between the Arab world and Israel in the last days of history? And the answer is yes, even though Russia and Iran will be building an alliance with Turkey and with others to come against a secure Israel. Those are two dynamics that seem contradictory, but the Bible speaks of them both. So that's Mm -hmm. where I get this from. But yeah, look, what what would be the benefits? The benefits would be Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has a fortune. It's sitting on an ocean of oil and and gas, mostly oil. It has, I don't know, I can't remember just a massive sovereign wealth fund of, I don't know, a trillion dollars or whatever it is. If they decide to start investing in Israeli technology, Israeli companies, and Israelis want Israelis who are so entrepreneurial in this startup nation want to go help the Saudis build new cities and new factories and new technologies, the money and the, and the smarts wow. of those two countries, and I don't mean it's even divided out, I mean, you know, the Saudis are known for their money and the Israelis are known for their entrepreneurship. But there are Saudi, Saudi entrepreneurs. There are Saudi engineers and stuff that want to create cool things. And there's and there's Israeli money that would like to invest in it. Yeah. There's an opportunity there of transformative economic growth and prosperity. Right. The Saudis want to build a whole new province in the northwest corner of Saudi Arabia, probably the very hmm. place that Paul went to. Uh, when he said he went to Arabia, we, we don't think he went oh. to Riyadh, which of course didn't exist, or to Jeddah, which didn't exist at the time. But we don't think he went all the way south to Queen of Sheba country, which was southern Arabia. We think he went to northern Arabia. But that place is now a, a, an area that the crown prince has called Neom. It's a new term, which basically a new city, a new province. And yeah. they want to invest $500 billion into creating basically wow. the cities and the province of the future, high tech, artificial intelligence, wow. uh, just something that and, and that will unite Egypt and Saudi Arabia. 
Jordan and Saudi Arabia, Israel and Saudi Arabia into an economic trading and tourism and technology uh, epicenter of its own. This yeah. would be huge for the Israeli economy and for the other uh, the Arab countries. It could be explosive. I, it's not a term I use. I, I like to use much in the Middle East, but <laughs> explosive growth, phenomenal growth. And again, sure. tourism back and forth. That's all possible if there's peace. Um, and what's interesting is the Saudis, because they're the keepers of Mecca and Medina, the most you know sacred places for the Muslims, if they make peace with Israel, it sends the signal throughout the entire Muslim world that basically it's kosher. I mean, the Muslims <laughs> would call it halal, but like it's, like it's halal. okay. <laughs> to make peace. Yeah. Yes, the Emiratis have done it. Yes, the Bahrainis. Yeah. Yes, the Moroccans. But, but but if the Saudis do it, that changes everything. And the economic benefits, the security benefits. Imagine for one moment, Carl, Saudi mm-hmm. money and Israeli missile defense technology that's creating factories to create missile defense interceptors that every country in the region can benefit from to make us invulnerable to Iranian missiles, invulnerable or at least mostly protected from Hezbollah missiles and rockets and from Hamas rockets, like, and not just Israelis, but that the Saudis would feel protected from those rockets and missiles and, and the Bahrainis the and the UAE, Emiratis. And Bahrainis, yeah. changes things, right? It changes mm-hmm. things dramatically. That's possible. And that those type of discussions are underway right now in the region. And I, look, it's not going to mean that there's peace forever. Because the Bible indicates there's going to be more and more peace and security between Israel and sure. Arab neighbors in the last days, sure. leading up to the war of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel 38 and 39. But at the same time, a very different and very existentially scary threat will emerge from this Russian-Iranian yeah. alliance. And I yeah. think we're watching both things. Like People can say, well, maybe that's 100 years away, Joel. Yeah, maybe. But we've mm-hmm. never seen the dynamics in, on both sides like we're seeing right now. That's why I would say, let's not jump to a conclusion that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is going to happen tomorrow, but let's keep our eyes peeled because the trend lines are involving events that are, that have never happened in all of human history, certainly in the 2,600 years since Ezekiel wrote the prophecy. So that's why we've, that's why it's interesting and why we want to be, we've got to be watching it. And that's why we will be expecting both peace and security on the one side and a very severe threat on the other side. And we would watch them happen simultaneously. Yeah. I think you're absolutely spot on about that in terms of the biblical prophecies and the way in which many other prophecies also indicate great revival in the last days and some uh, love growing cold and apostasy, you know, and, and all of those things are true if we believe the scripture to be true, but they'll be happening at the same time. So the question's going to always be asked, where does this fit? And and I think you, you've said it best, you know, that never before, while we don't know the day or the hour, we have no idea of the time frame exactly, when you see these pieces on the chessboard moving and when you see the dynamism of all of these different strains, not just the peace and security happening and breaking out in the last several years, but the alliance of Russia and Persia or Iran and uh, Turkey potentially also forging at the same time. You just never see those things uh, as clearly as we have in recent days. Joel, I have one last question before we, you know, kind of look at this podcast and move on to our, our next one. And, it, you know, and it, it just pains my heart to sometimes bring it up, but 
where are the Palestinians in all of this? And where is the Palestinian authority when it comes to leadership, when this all these forces and dynamisms are taking place in the region? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Carl, because uh, in many ways, uh, there's a train that seems to be leaving the station, and that is Arab-Israeli peace and normalization, right? You've got the, the Emiratis, you've got the Bahrainis, you've got the Moroccans. Um, the Saudis are trending in that direction. Sudanese are an interesting question. We'll get into that later. Uh, even a Muslim non-Arab country like Kosovo is normalized relations with Israel. And there are other countries that are considering it, Oman and Kuwait. And, and we've even talk, heard talk of, of Indonesia and elsewhere. So we'll see. But the Palestinians are stuck. Uh, the Palestinian people are suffering. They're poor. They have two different regimes over them. In Gaza, they have um, a terrorist regime called Hamas that is more interested in building Gaza as a launching pad of missiles and rockets against Israel than building a flourishing, healthy, peaceful society. I mean, remember, Gaza has beachfront property on the Mediterranean. It has massive reserves of natural gas right off of its shores. It has industrious and, and ingenious wonderful people, the Palestinian people of Gaza, but it has a terrorist regime that is sucking the lifeblood out of them. And I say one of the things we need to be praying for is the liberation of Gaza, not from Israel. Israel hasn't occupied or even been involved in Gaza with troops on the ground or anything, or or much less uh, citizens or settlements since 2005. Okay, that's 17 years where Israel hasn't had a single soldier in Gaza. But that's right, you know, it was 2005 that Gaza was liberated, given back, as it were, to the Palestinians or given to them. And then in 2006, Hamas took over and dest- and created a terrorist base camp. So it's it's so tragic and it's so unnecessary. We need to pray for the liberation exactly. of Gaza. But secondly, then you have the West Bank, right? We would call it in Israel, Judea and Samaria. This is the biblical heartland. But to the Palestinians, it is their homeland. It is the center of their Palestinian authority. And they want it to be the centerpiece of their state that they want. But even Palestinian people, if you look at the, the polls of Palestinians taken by Palestinians, roughly 75% of Palestinians in the West Bank mm-hmm. believe that their government is corrupt, that Mahmoud Abbas, who's the president of the Palestinian Authority, should be removed or should step oh. down. He is serving mm-hmm. his 17th year of his four-year term. So, you know, but the problem is, the whole, yeah, it's, it's, it would be, it would be funny and it is funny, except that it's so tragic because as bad as that is that Abbas is there, the polls now show that if, if there were elections, the Hamas terrorist organization that runs Gaza might take over the West Bank. So you think, wow, I believe in democracy, but I don't really want terrorists to take over the West Bank. That's really going to make things bad. What I'm saying is the Palestinian people are stuck. And I've been recently, over the last few months, spending more time with Palestinian Muslim business right. leaders and, and, and as well as Palestinian Christians, of course. But I sense a growing frustration, but also mm-hmm. a growing desire that to, to maybe find a way to normalize with Israel. They're not sure the exact pathway forward. But I think mm-hmm. it's something we need to be praying for. We need to, the Palestinian people are, are forgotten people in many ways. But as Christians, mm-hmm. people who love Jesus, we cannot forget people that are suffering, and we cannot assume that just because the leadership are either terrorists in Gaza 
or corrupt and they're seemingly forever and ever and ever with no willingness to leave and have younger blood and younger, fresher ideas. Still, that the Palestinian people are people that God loves and that we should be praying for and we want the best for them. And uh, again, Joshua Fund is a ministry that wants to bless Israel and her neighbors. Just because we love Israel doesn't mean we hate Palestinians or hate Muslims. Yeah. No. Uh, now, we, you and I are sitting here. We don't have an exact peace plan or something that we're advocating. This is the way to fix the problem. But we can have hearts of compassion, right? We know that people coming to faith in Jesus is the ultimate answer. But you'd also love to see some geopolitical agreement where not everybody on either side has to worry about terror or occupation or economic deprivation, right? You want people to benefit. Now, Bible prophecy indicates that there's coming a day where all the citizens, all the people of the land of Israel and that the epicenter area will be living securely and in prosperity. That's yeah. certainly happening increasingly on the Israeli side. It's not yet happening on the Palestinian side. Let's pray yeah. for it. Yeah, and I let's pray fully... that every person in that region and in the entire region sure. hears at least the gospel and considers that no matter what their political situation, no matter what their economic situation, that there is hope when you know the Messiah. Yeah. Amen. You, you and I both know, Joel, personally, uh, many wonderful believers, Palestinian believers, and many wonderful um, conversations that we've had regarding how to bring, you know, the Prince of Peace more directly into this conversation. And, uh, you know, we continue to pray for our brothers and sisters in the West Bank in, in, uh, uh, who are Palestinian. And I would say, you know, it's really important for our listeners also to know that the Joshua Fund, as a ministry, does bless and encourage Israeli pastors and church leaders through a conference we call Preach the Word, which is really designed to help just simply bless them, encourage them. But we do exactly the same thing for Palestinian pastors. And uh, while the context is a bit more challenging, uh, the same heart is there to bless, encourage, and to uh, uplift the arms, to hold them up uh, for these uh, dear brothers and sisters who work so hard day in and day out to bring good news to a very difficult situation in the West Bank with Palestinian pastors. So I just wanted to make a uh, uh, note of that for people to to not just throw our hands up despite the fact that so much is is they are being left behind and so much of what God is seeming to allow ha to happen in the Middle East to bring peace and prosperity, but that we at the Joshua Fund in particular, I know you and Lynn as a family have reached out in many ways to encourage and to bless our Palestinian brothers and sisters as well. Well, I'm so grateful, Joel, for our, our chance to have this conversation and to, to really uh, unpack a little bit about what, what's transpiring right now in, uh, in the region, especially about these, uh, these last couple podcasts about the possibilities of peace uh, between Israel and Saudi Arabia. And um, I'm just grateful that you're always making time for these podcasts. And uh, I know the, the feedback I get from many people on your books, of course, but also this podcast is that you help provide education uh, and insight and really unpacking some very, very difficult to understand uh, elements of, of what's going on in this region. So, Joel, thank you very much for, for doing that once again. Well, honored to do it. And I look forward to the day that just as you and I have traveled together uh, to meet with people and pray with people and 
understand better what's going on in the United Arab Emirates and in Bahrain and elsewhere. Uh, that may, may the Lord open that door for you and I to travel together into Saudi Arabia in the not too distant future. May it be. And uh, that would be a beautiful thing. For all our listeners, obviously, thank you for uh downloading and and listening to this podcast, whether you listen to it uh, on audio or you watch on YouTube. We are so grateful for you. We are so excited about the uh, over 3 million of uh, listens now to our podcast. And uh, that means that people are actually learning and growing just like you in their knowledge of what God is doing in the epicenter. And uh, we invite you to, uh, to get in touch with us. If you found this podcast valuable, please let us know. Uh, we want to know who you are, uh, what your questions are. Uh, what do you want us to talk about on this show? You know, there's so much happening in the Middle East and, and so much biblically that we need to talk about as well. Do you have a question for Joel to answer? I get the privilege of asking him all these questions every episode. I'd love to ask him a question that came from one of our listeners. So you can go to joshuafund.com and click on contact us. Feedback from you is incredibly important and it's incredibly valuable as we continue to develop this podcast. And as always, check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.